You're listening to a 3CR podcast created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au. 3CR would like to acknowledge the Kulin Nation, true owners, caretakers and custodians of the land from which we broadcast. 3CR pays respect to elders past and present of the Kulin Nation. We recognise their unceded sovereignty. This is 3CR Breakfast. Alternative news, analysis and current affairs. Monday to Friday, 7am to 8.30am. Good morning everyone and welcome to 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. It's 7am and today is Tuesday the 23rd of January 2024. My name is Fung and in the studio today we've got Francis and Carnegie. Good morning. Good morning. Morning. How are we all going at the moment? You know, not great. Uh, Just sitting in the despair of the ongoing genocide in Palestine. Um, It's just, you know, unbelievable how long it's been in addition to the previous 72 years uh, that we've just been watching on social media what's happening. So just continually difficult to sit with. Yeah, it's it's a lot to take in and makes it all increasingly difficult when you know the state is not doing anything the mainstream media isn't doing enough and yeah constant lies and fake news are being perpetuated and disseminated um out of mass which makes it really hard um but also yeah just would, I believe, make it so incredibly hard for for Palestinians back home and in the diaspora to have to deal with. Absolutely. And, I mean, you know, there's so much on-the-ground action happening all the time. Obviously, the rallies every Sunday, and there's just so much else going on, the banner-making and the local protests and the council protests. And, you know, I've been seeing all this stuff happening at the dock as well. Um, And it's just so disheartening to see a lot of that Uh, just being, you know, the the cops are there and uh, people being treated badly and violently. And it's it's every step of the way you just feel like people are trying at a grassroots level, people without any power ever getting together and trying. And it's just the people with power constantly stepping in to to shut it down. It's unbelievable. I was going to say one like positive thing that I feel like I saw on Sunday was um, so many of those grassroots groups coming together in different movements. And I think um, when we're seeing things like, um, you know, speakers talking about the Uyghurs um, at the same time as talking about Palestine and talking about Invasion Day at the same time as talking about Palestine, I think we're seeing more in Australia a little bit of recognition of these bigger systems of oppression Um, and colonial forces, which it's, I guess, heartening at least to see those groups see their common struggle. Definitely. I did see a tweet yesterday that said, it's at the very least, it's the first time so many colonised people have come together. And as a colonised person, I I deeply feel that. Yeah, for sure. And I think we're going to talk more about this on today's show. Um, So let's get into who uh, we'll be speaking with today. 
So at 7.15, we're starting with uh, speaking with one of the organizers from Students for Palestine who have been doing some incredible rallying, um, Renee, and uh, they'll be talking to us about today's action in the CBD. At 7.30, we'll be speaking to Dr. Jessica Ganaway, who is a lecturer at the Melbourne Graduate School of Education. Uh, she coordinates the First Nations in Education secondary subject within the Master of Teaching. So she'll be on to talk um, about anti-racist pedagogies, um, the responsibility of teachers to be um, truthful about colonization, ongoing colonization, and um, especially uh, during their teacher training. At 7.45, we'll be hearing from Tui Raven, a Yamaji Nyunga person who is a senior manager of Indigenous programs at the Deakin Library and also operates a sole trader business that specialises in Aboriginal cultural advising, research, project management and art curating. She'll be speaking to us about the guidelines for First Nations collection description in Australian libraries. At eight o'clock, Caroline Kell, uh, who is a proud Barbaram woman, joins us. Uh, Caroline is part of the Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance here in um, Victoria and Wurundjeri country, and uh, she'll be on the show to talk about uh, Invasion Day on Friday, the 26th of January, um, the key demands, um, as well as the ongoing solidarity between um, what we just discussed, colonised peoples everywhere. And finally, at 8.15, we'll be speaking with Sophie Just, who is the lead singer and guitarist of Nam-based feminist punk band Rob. Rob and a few other local bands are uh, raising funds for both Olive Kids and eSIMS for Palestine through an event coming up on the 11th of Feb. So Sophie is on the show to tell us more about that. Uh, we'll be back with the news headlines right after this. 3CR is about community, and we welcome your participation at the station. 3CR is open to a wide diversity of volunteers and is a great way to connect with Melbourne's activist community. Have you ever thought about volunteering, doing a reception shift, getting a program on air, training in radio skills, or contributing to one of the station's committees? There are many ways to be involved at 3CR. To find out more, go to 3cr.org.au and get in touch. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. These are the news headlines for Tuesday the 23rd of January 2024. The Liberal and National Parties have withdrawn support for treaty in Victoria. The Coalition backed a bill in 2022 to start the treaty process with Indigenous people in Victoria, but has now ended years of bipartisan uh, on the issue. The Coalition has said <clears throat> that treaty could make people feel more divided, um, and that the change was also partly due to recent reports on the state's cultural heritage laws, saying that the management plan by traditional owner groups was taking too long and impacting housing developments. Victoria's First People Assembly have said that the coalition's decision is disappointing but not surprising. Unlike other states, Victoria's treaty process is already underway with negotiations to begin this year. Victoria's First People Assembly have also said that while they would have liked for treaty to remain above party politics, they still see a clear path to treaty ahead. Some news from India. Uh, Modi, the Prime Minister of India, has 
just inaugurated a Hindu temple on the site where um, historically they, the same government has raised mosques. More than three decades after a mob of militant Hindu radicals raised a mosque to the ground in the Indian town of Ayodhya in the state of Uttar Pradesh, the country's prime minister has inaugurated a new Hindu temple that will stand in its place. The consecration of the Ram Temple has been a national event with 8,000 official guests, including politicians, diplomats, Bollywood stars and holy figures, while hundreds of thousands of pilgrims flock to Ayodhya from across the country to show their devotion to the new temple. The town also underwent a $3 billion government-funded transformation and was garlanded with flowers, saffron flags, which support the political party, images of the god Ram, and billboards of the Prime Minister Modi. The demolition of the mosque in 1992 paved the way for Hindu nationalism to become a dominant political force it is today, and the pledge to build a Ram temple in Ayodhya has been at the core of Modi's BJP party political agenda to establish Hindu supremacy in India and Many Muslims living in the town now are fearful of what is to come. Also in the news, uh, Maori meet to protest NZ government plans. So in Aotearoa, more than 10,000 Maori congregated on New Zealand's North Island on Saturday, meeting at Tuangawaiwai, the seat of the Maori king. Uh, and this was over government plans that are seen by many Indigenous groups as undermining their rights and status. Uh, Kingi Tuhetia told attendees on Saturday that their voices matter, but it was not just talk and a solution was needed. Turning up today is a quote, uh, we've seen a strong message that has been heard around the world. People are watching us. This was a response to the new coalition government in NZ led by the Nationals Christopher Luxon, uh, which has announced it will repeal or review at least a dozen policies that provide for Maori. It includes rolling back initiatives designed to improve Maori health outcomes, stopping uh, policies which focus on race and minimising Maori language use in the public service. There are also fears uh, of future plans as part of what's being called an anti-Maori government to review the principles of the Treaty of Waitangi, which upholds Maori rights. Uh, another quote from Kingi uh, Tuhetia. The best protest we can do right now is be Maori, be who we are, live our values, speak our rio, care for our mokupana, our awa, our manga, Tuhetia said. Just be Maori all day, every day, we are here, we are strong. Uh, also in the news, uh, a report was released yesterday, Monday 22nd of January, from the Australian National Campaign Everybody's Home on the housing crisis, lack of social housing and problems with federal government tax concessions. The report called Ridden Off the High Cost of Australia's Unfair Tax System breaks down some of the figures related to the government subsidising of the private market instead of directly building homes. Um, we see things like um, the cost of investor tax breaks um, and how that outstrips federal spending on social housing by at least five times. Uh, also figures um, which show the change in government spending. So in 1982, the government spent about $164 per person on public and community housing. And by 2022, that number had shrunk to 61. 
Uh, Everybody's Home spokeswoman May Aziz said in the midst of a major cost of living crisis, the federal government is spending record amounts on housing to line the pockets of investors. Uh, Tax handouts for investors will be a quarter of a trillion dollar mistake if the government doesn't change tack. Giving money to investors is a choice. If the government wants to make housing more affordable and fairer for all Australians, it can choose to put money into homes. Uh, The report recommends three things. uh, Abolish negative gearing and the capital gains tax discount to reduce speculative investment. Build one million social housing properties over the next two decades to meet current and future need. Increase and expand Commonwealth rent assistance so that it relieves financial stress for people on low incomes. The report also uh, notes the extensive reduction in the federal government's supply of social housing, which has meant increasing wealth inequality, and shows how the problem has been outsourced onto NGOs, community organisation management and Indigenous community housing, who are now charged with managing social housing, but the shortfall continues to grow and they cannot provide. Uh, A final quote from Aziz, the government must take action to make housing affordable. We're calling on them to use this week's talk talks to abolish unfair tax handouts and build the homes we need. And finally for this morning, the Queen Victoria Women's Centre in Nam is hiring a feminist historian in residence to revisit the existing historical records of the QV hospital and the centre and examining it with fresh eyes while asking what voices are missing, what issues have not been discussed and what stories need to be retold. QVWC wants to create a series of refreshed contemporary historical assets, including podcasts, oral histories, workshops, public lectures, information sessions, and exhibitions. If you're interested, you can visit qvwc.org.au to find out more, and applications close by the 16th of February. We are going to go to a track now. This is a song by uh, Miss Canina who is from Lutruwita, or Tasmania. She is a proud Yota Yota, Yerindali, and Kaikadun woman who grew up on the shores of Bruny Island. This is her self-described anti-established anthem, Black Britney, and just a language warning for this one. The song goes for 2 minutes and 33 seconds. Third gear, 
Miss Canina with Black Britney. This morning, we're joined by Renee, who is an organizer with Students for Palestine and Free Palestine Melbourne. Renee joins us this morning to talk about today's action in the CBD led by Students for Palestine. Welcome to 3CR Breakfast, Renee. Hi. Lovely to have you on the show this morning. Um, Renee, Students for Palestine have been doing some incredible work rallying against the ongoing genocide in Palestine. For listeners who may not be aware, could you give us just a little bit of background on the group and how it came about? Yeah, um, so Students for Palestine was convened um, in 2008. Um, So, yeah, there's a long history in Melbourne of um, students fighting back against um, the apartheid and occupation, um, the genocide that's currently happening I'm in Palestine. It's been going on for decades. Um, yeah, we're a force organising national campaigns across the country at the moment, um, across all campuses and cities to oppose, um, yeah, the apartheid and occupation. Um, yeah, the past couple of months we've organised really successful um, Disrupt Melbourne actions um, in support of the Palestinians. We've also um, been a part of helping the school students organise a historic um, school strike for Palestine, which um, had over 2,000 students walk out of school in December, um, which was the biggest one in the entire world, which is really awesome and incredible. Yeah, that that uh, protest particularly was really, really great. Um, yeah. But, you know, despite these global protests, including that one, and so many successful rallies and pickets and so much more happening, over 25,000 Palestinians are now dead and 1.9 million displaced. How are students feeling about this? Yeah, I mean, it's just horrific. Like, um, yeah, it's disastrous what's happening right now in Gaza. I was reading this morning the assault on Khan Yunus in the south um, is just, yeah, disastrous. Um, uh, The NASA hospital, which um, has been totally besieged, now has a mass grave inside of it for people, you know, to bury their loved ones because the bombardment is so heavy that they just can't get out of the hospital. Um, and this is like a place that was once a safe zone in, in the south of Gaza. So, yeah, I think the um, feelings of students right now is that, you know, as we start going back to school, um, high schools are about to go back, um, unis um, are starting in the next couple of weeks. I think that it's all the more important that we keep protesting um, and we keep Palestine in the news. Yeah, absolutely. 
And historically as well, uh, protests like this have often been led by students. Why do you think this is so important for students, both you know at school level and uni level, to to lead these protests? Yeah, well, I mean, I think students just have, yeah, lots of time, obviously. Um, yeah, but also in Australia, students have um, a long history of um, kind of being the linchpins in a bunch of uh, really radical movements, um, in the Middle East especially. Um, yeah, but I think, um, yeah, going on now, it's um, important that, yeah, we disrupt business as normal, I think. Yeah, the entire, when the high school was on the strike, basically it was, um, you know, the entire media and political establishment against them. But I think, especially in Australia, we have um, a special duty to protest because of the, you know, the complicity of our government. Um, you know, they've actively supported um, this genocide and this war. So, yeah, I think that's quite important. Yeah, definitely. Have you um, had feedback from both current students and prospective students about... Um, how they feel about, you know, universities and the Australian government being so complicit in um, the war at the moment? Yeah, um, yeah, we've been, um, you know, doing stalls, trying to build this action that's happening um, tonight. We've got, yeah, the, um, a bunch of support on social media. Um, we get a bunch of messages, um, people showing interest, wanting to get involved with the campaign. Um, we've been at all of the Sunday rallies, um, all 15 of them. Um, you know, there's just thousands and thousands of students there every week who are, like, just absolutely horrified at what's happening. Um, I think it's a very polarising issue, you know. You kind of look at the just atrocity and the disaster, the massacres that are being committed. And then, yeah, it's like the complicity of our government, but also, you know, the ties that all of our universities have um, with Israel um, at um, Deakin. That's where I go. Um, our government has... Our university had a contract with Raphael Systems, which is the company that, um, you know, created the Iron Dome in Israel. So, you know, yeah, or RMIT has ties with, um, you know, Lockheed Martin, Melbourne Uni 2, um, who um, manufacture F-35 fighter jets to, you know, drop bombs on Gaza. So, yeah, I think a lot of students are totally outraged by what's happening and really have an appetite for protesting and standing up for Palestine. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, I've seen big unis like Melbourne Uni try and censor students when, you know, they're trying to show support when they graduate, for example, um, and, you know, withholding graduation videos. And yeah, it's really uh, disheartening to, you know, see in real time how much our universities here in Australia are funding this and, and still stand behind it, um, which, of course, makes it all the more important for students like uh this group to mobilize and rally um, and make sure that everyone knows, you know, that it's not them um, and put pressure on the yeah. unis. So tell us about today's action, what's happening and what are your demands? Yeah, so um, today at 4pm we're going to be meeting um, at Burke Street Mall outside um, Telstra. Um, we're going to have a bit of a march around Melbourne, occupy a couple of things in the CBD, um, disrupt business as usual, I guess. Um, uh, we're going to have a bunch of um, Palestine activists speak from campuses all around Melbourne. Um, Jan, who's a um, Jewish anti-Zionist activist, who spoke at the rally on Sunday. Um, he's going to be speaking. Um, Jadal, who was an organiser of the high school strike for Palestine in December, is going to be speaking as well, promoting um, another action that we've got planned on the 29th. Um, yeah, I think, 
yeah, our demands are just, um, you know, an end of Australia's um, complicity, um, break of the military and diplomatic ties with Israel, end the bombing um, of Gaza and lift the siege, um, yeah, and just stop the genocide. Amazing. How can people join in and support this action, um, as well as just support students for Palestine in general? Yeah, um, I guess come to one of the actions that we've got planned. Um, We've got this one today at 4pm. We also have weekly organising meetings every Tuesday at 1pm at 83 Sydney Road in Brunswick. It's um, a bit of an activist centre that we have where a bunch of Palestine activism and organising happens. Um, we're also, yeah, we do stalls all the time. Um, we're at all of the Sunday rallies every single week. Um, and we've got um, an Instagram, Students for Palestine Victoria, um, which you can send a message to if you wanted to get involved and aren't really sure how. Great. We'll share that on our show notes later today as well for any listeners who are interested. And finally, Renee, if you know there are students listening who are a bit reluctant to get involved, um, particularly maybe international students who are not quite sure how this will impact them, um, what message do you have for them to to join you in this in this fight? Um, yeah. Well, in yeah the past fifteen weeks, we've had um, you know a mass uh, historic global movement. Um, in support of Palestine in Australia, um, they're the biggest, you know, anti-war protests in the, you know, since the movement against the invasion of Iraq, and the biggest in Australia in its, you know, in its history for Palestine. I think it's, you know, incredibly important that, you know, well, all of our, you know, universities and, you know, governments are complicit in what's happening. That, you know, we go out and say, actually, you know, Australia doesn't stand with Israel. <laughs> Australia, you know, stands on the side of the Palestinians. Um, and yeah, coming to a rally or getting involved with organising behind the scenes—if you want, you know, comfortable coming to a rally—I think, you know, that's extremely important. And yeah, you should get in touch with Students for Palestine to get involved with that. Amazing, Renee. Thanks so much for your time this morning, and good luck with the action today. We encourage all our listeners to get involved. Thank you so much. So that was Renee, an organiser with Students for Palestine and Free Palestine Melbourne, speaking to us about the disruption today that will take place at 4pm at Burke Street Mall in the CBD. For updates, please follow the group on Instagram at Students for Palestine Victoria. What's taking place in Palestine is horrendous. The people of Gaza who have survived ethnic cleansing, three wars and a 16-year siege are now facing the biggest attacks ever mounted against them. This will only stop if governments like ours demand that it stop. Here are some ways that you can keep yourself informed and involved. Listen in to Palestine Remembered every Saturday morning at 9.30am or listen to the podcast. Join the APAN mailing list at apan.org.au for updates, news about actions you can get involved in and where you can donate to provide humanitarian assistance. Listen to other news and current affairs programs on 3CR that also cover Palestine. The oppression of the Palestinian people has been going on for 75 years. It has to stop. You can be part of making that happen by staying informed and active. APAN is a proud supporter of 3CR. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. Uh, Barka is a staunch Malayangappa Bakunji rapper and 
has a new single out called Division, which he wrote to capture just how mob are feeling post-referendum. Uh, just a language warning on this one. The song goes for about three minutes, so please join us after. The little black fucker's gonna get started to get built. If something doesn't come out of it, they're gonna start getting flogged. And they won't come back. Because personally, myself, we'll take them out the scrub and leave them there. Wouldn't that be called lynching? I don't really give a shit what it's called. It'll solve the fucking problem, and I'm over it. Division, huh? Okay, listen, my people making up 28% of these prisons, we make up 3%. Here in this population, while the other 97% under the ground missing. Wanna talk about it? Let's talk about it. We got coppers killing mob and walking around and proud about it. Wonder why we're loud about it. Being silent's too long and I'm sick of being angry. My people sick of being too strong. Sick of mum all locked up. All over petty crimes, white men gets let off in the black fellas use a life, you got our kids messed up. Ripping part our family ties, look at the statistics on the beer, their institution lights. I'm sick of getting painted as a drunk. I'd rock up to your pubs and I don't even have a drink, but it's full of fucking gums. I'm sick of white tears claiming they don't get no love, but when you look at the history, they've always hated us. You've created division, this is white man made. Truckers go in the community and make the black girls slaves. Get them hooked on meth. And the white man rapes and points a finger at the father so the black man's blame. This the truth, they get fucked up and ain't even mentioned. You bring that poison to the people, anti-intervention. Let's teach them a lesson. They'd be nothing without us, we stole inventions and claimed them. Our deafest people gave at us, they just created a stick. But you poisoned our waters, you went in danger. My species, most my ancestors were slaughtered. Then they created borders while they wiped out our knowledge. Stop that language off my mother's tongue and fire upon us. So just being honest, I'm preparing to die, you fat. Means my culture thrives without me alive. I do anything that has a little peace. But before I was born, they already hated me. So the fuck I gotta be? Ain't your puppet on the string? God save the fucking queen. Fuck your anthem, I don't sing. You must gotta be thick. If you think it's all they came, I got my old people here without a name upon the graves. Best believe it's about to change. They had us all stuck in a box. Now we're breaking down the barriers for the ones we have lost. I'm coming for that stolen wealth. From my voice, pay the cost. The tables are turned. So now you call me Miss. Mr. Bossman, think you can't close my eyes? I'll be that loud black bitch that you fucking despise. I'll be that angry black sister with a fire inside. That light suffice, and make sure that my young kids survive. You can call it what you want, but I'ma call it how it is. The rest of the world can see that Australia's racist. My pages full of pages commenting without faces and red. They show their faces, they're usually shit face. Have another one, Shazza. Pour it up, put that bottle to your head and you can go and get fucked. Think you're better, doesn't matter, you're the neighborhood drunk. It gets fucked up on babies and shames at your son's motherfucker. 65,000 fucking years, now we ain't done yet. I don't want your table, fuck your table and it's weak legs. Fuck your constitution, you can keep it for them rednecks. And every time you look at us, I hope it makes you fucking sweat. That was Division by Barker. We are now joined by Dr. Jessica Ganaway, 
who is a lecturer in language and literacy education at the Melbourne Graduate School of Education and the Language and Literacy Academic Group. She coordinates the First Nations in Education secondary subject within the Master of Teaching and the Language in Diverse Context subject within the Master of Education. Jessica's areas of research, scholarship and publications include um, relationality and identity in education, particularly teacher identity and dispositions in relation to cultural responsiveness and anti-racist pedagogies. Thank you so much for joining us on 3CR, Jessica. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. So uh, today's show, we are focusing on um, First Nations uh, issues and stories leading into Invasion Day. So I was wondering if you could start by um, telling us a bit more about this subject that you helped to run called First Nations in Education uh, within the Master of Teaching. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, This is a subject that's been um, written by some incredible First Nations academics. And the focus of the subject is on really coming to understand as um, beginning teachers uh, the long histories um, of this country, the histories of um, settler colonialism, but most importantly, the histories of our First Nations people um, on the lands on which we live. So we really start off the teaching degree um, exploring those things, coming to understand those things deeply and looking at the impact of colonisation on First Nations peoples through the education system, the ways that education systems have been complicit in settler colonialism, and the ways that um, those issues continue to be faced by our communities in our schools, and what we as teachers can do about that. Yeah, I think that's really important that you mention that even within the education system and in schools, we know that historically, but also it continues to today, that um, many students, teachers, community members face um, a lot of racism, discrimination, exclusion, um, and it also, uh, you know, creeps into the curriculum um, as we know as well. So um, I think that's really important to to acknowledge. Um, From your perspective, Jessica, how does this have an impact on Um, How does this have an impact on teachers as they um, start their teaching journey um, with this context and with this knowledge um, under their belt? Yeah, that's a great question. I mean, I think um, part of what it means to live in a country um, under settler colonialism and part of my responsibilities as an individual but also as a teacher educator um, are to understand how... um, like I've said, colonialism works within an education system. There are particular tricks and techniques um, that have been used for, you know, centuries to maintain power over um, particular peoples and communities. And one of the things that I think is really important for us to recognise as a teaching profession is the role of erasure and the way that that's been used as a technique of settled colonialism. And by that I mean um, marginalising and ignoring the knowledge of a people. If you marginalise somebody's knowledge system and you ignore them and you, you know, keep them out of the curriculum, then it's easier to maintain a story that those people are inferior. Um, The inverse is also true. When you focus on and spotlight and showcase the brilliance of a people, the knowledges that have existed on this land long before any of us were born, um, then you can start to see the strength and the richness and the heritage that we have um, in this country. You start to really understand and know um, the communities that make up this country. 
So I really spend a lot of time thinking about knowledges, um, about how important it is, whose knowledges are included in the curriculum, whose are excluded, and to understand that as a historical tool um, of settler colonialism. And that's something that teachers have incredible um, influence over, that when we take more time to come to understand the knowledge systems of our First Nations peoples in this country. And when we showcase that within the curriculum, within the learning that happens in our classrooms, we're really contributing to a greater sense of knowing each other uh, within this country, which every member of our classroom stands to benefit from. Yeah, definitely. It makes me think back to um, a discussion that I had with uh, some teachers who um, were part of the you know, supporting uh, a free Palestine last week, and and Claire was talking about the importance of um, of people's stories and including mm. those stories in order to learn and and um, not just learn from an academic perspective, but um, social emotional learning as well. Um, mm. And you were saying, you know, um, being able to as a teacher, being able to um, have the agency to choose to include um, different knowledges is so important, especially when Mm. I imagine within the um, teaching world, uh, a lot of the resources are already provided, you know, textbooks, um, online resources. um, And uh, I was wondering if you could talk about, you know, how many of these would be written or created by Indigenous peoples or with Indigenous peoples? And if not, what can teachers do to ensure that they are including not just these voices, but, um, yeah, these knowledge systems as well? Yeah, absolutely. That's a great question. And I think so many teachers are already doing incredible work coming to understand, um, you know, the histories and cultures and knowledge systems of our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities through their own research. And this is why teachers are so incredible. They go and find out the things they need to know in order to facilitate learning in the classroom. Um, There are also a lot of really exciting initiatives happening across the country. Um, One shout-out I can give is to the work of the Nanga Project, led by Professor um, Melita Hogarth. That's a project that's Aboriginal-run and led and looking to put really high-quality resources into every classroom around the country so that teachers are more equipped and empowered um, to talk about these things that kind of, you know, traditionally have been pretty uncomfortable for teachers to talk about, especially those of us that have grown up without really getting that kind of education ourselves. Um, but yeah, that said, there's a lot of um, exciting initiatives happening. I think the resources that we have um, these days are a lot richer and a lot more readily available than they used to be. And I can really see teachers stepping up and doing some incredible work in this space. Yeah, definitely. Well, um, we'll we'll make sure to keep an eye out for these resources. Um, uh, There's been a lot of discussion within the uh, teacher community, especially recently, um, in light of what's happening in Palestine, about Mm. um, speaking up and and telling the truth um, in schools, speaking to not just students but colleagues um, and the wider school community. So I was wondering just more broadly, Jessica, if you could talk about um, the ways in which uh, teachers are 
sort of um, well, why some of the teachers are reluctant to um, talk about the truth when it comes to the settler colony, um, not just in Palestine, but also here in so-called Australia. And for any educators who are listening, um, what are some, uh, are there some strategies or some things that you'd like to, to tell them um, regarding this? Yeah, absolutely. Look, um, teachers are really, really important um, relationships within young people's lives. Um, we have such an incredible responsibility and a role to play with young people as they are not only building their sense of identity and sense of themselves, but also making sense of the world. And as we know, young people have access to so much information these days. They are witnessing things happening globally through their phone screens on TikTok and through other medium platforms. And as educators, it's really our responsibility to provide structure around how young people make sense of the world around them. And that can be really uncomfortable sometimes. Um, we run into um, really devastating stories about the history of this country. We run into really complex relationships um, between, you know, settler colonial uh, entities and the people that they oppress. And Part of um, the truth-telling that we do in our classrooms is in being brave to engage in those conversations, particularly when they come at a risk to us as educators, um, because we know that it's really important that we are supporting young people as they make sense of the world around them. So um, teachers are doing incredible work on that front. Um, it's not easy work navigating um, histories that are painful to regard, navigating the ongoing impacts of settler colonialism is really difficult work. Um, and, but it's important work, you know. Young people deserve to have guidance as they make sense of what's happening globally. Definitely, and I think, um, you know, you were talking about the importance of relationships. I think that's the key to this is being able to establish um, really good rapport with, with students between teachers and students, but also between students themselves in order to have these really vital conversations. Um, to supplement or, or to inform or to help students um, think critically, especially when they're engaging with social media and other um, tools where they're getting their information from. Um, Unfortunately, that's all we have time for today, Jessica, but uh, I did want to highlight that this is such an important conversation to have and an on ongoing conversation that we'll have. And, and I really wanted to thank you for coming on the show this morning to chat with us about this. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. If you've just joined us, we've been speaking to Dr. Jessica Ganaway about the first about First Nations in education, um, uh, as well as anti-racist pedagogies and the importance of truth telling in schools. Um, this will be an ongoing conversation, so I'm sure we'll continue highlighting this issue on our show. Um, we're going to play another song now. Carnegie, what are we going to listen to? We are going to listen to a song by Denny, who is a proud Pakana artist based in the Trilwulwe Nation in Lutruwita, Tasmania. This song, called Lutruwita, is written and performed in the Palawakani language. Oh, 
Lutruita by Denny. Next up, we have Tui Raven, a Yamaji Nunga person in the studio with us, who is a senior manager of Indigenous programs at Deakin Library and operates a sole trader business that specializes in Aboriginal cultural advising, research, project management, and art curating. In 2023, Tui published the guidelines for First Nations collection description for the Australian library sector. And in her role at Deakin, Tui is a founding member of the Reparative Description, community of practice for Indigenous peoples, library staff, cataloguers and metadata specialists to assist with implementing the guidelines. So we're very excited to have Tui here today to talk a little bit more about these guidelines for First Nations collection description for Australian libraries. So Tui, can you start by telling our listeners a little bit more, what are these uh, guidelines and why is it so important that we have them? The guidelines are intended to update description practices at libraries and archives around Australia. So basically they're intended for Indigenous people and metadata specialists. Uh, the reason why we want to update descriptions is because there's lots of Aboriginal history, cultural heritage contained within libraries and archives. And in order to make them accessible, you have to describe them properly so you can re- so you can actually search for them properly. Yeah, it sounds um, really important and something that we should have done a long time ago, I'm guessing. So uh, can you tell us a little bit about the process? Like how did you develop these? Um, what instigated it? And what was the process of collaboration between Indigenous communities and libraries? So basically, it was a joint project to start with between IATSIS, ALIA, Nesla, Core, and Caval, uh, the major the, the major uh, project collaborators and funders. The idea was that we would go to all the major institutions and find out the work that they were doing. And by major institutions, I mean the state libraries and any of the archives, and find out the kind of work that they were doing and updating practices, because the work was already occurring. We just needed to record it for the other institutions to understand what was going on in the space. As far as working with Indigenous communities, that's the role of the library themselves to do. Because as you can imagine, there's no way that I could have gone to over 200 to 1,000 communities. And so that's actually the role of the library to work with their community. Yeah, and I guess it depends on yeah the specific context, what they have in their collections, what would be relevant to each different library. 
Um, one of the things when I was watching the webinar about this is um, you mentioned uh, – ICIP, Indigenous Cultural and Intellectual Property, and how you've got that system and then you've got the sort of Western colonial systems of copyright and intellectual property, and you're trying in the guidelines to bring those together. Can you tell us what is ICIP and, and what were the challenges of fitting those knowledge systems together? So Indigenous Cultural and Intellectual Property rights is the rights for Indigenous communities to control their cultural heritage. That's the most simplistic way of putting it. Um, so basically, in, in ICIP, you're looking at Indigenous cultural intellectual property, you're looking at cult intangible and tangible cultural heritage. So that's looking at physical objects and things that are called intangible, and that's like song and dance. Generally in the archives, it's, it's uh, tangible in that you can actually touch it, and so it'll be a recording of a song. The idea of ICIP is that there is copyright doesn't actually understand group knowledge and so ICIP was created to actually protect Indigenous people's knowledges. And so what would that look like then in practice if you're trying to, um, for example, I think one of the examples you had was um, music production and there were this whole group of people who were part of it and sometimes um, the current library system might just note a producer or an artist um, and this new way of documenting would change that somewhat? That's correct. So under library systems, we have what's called authority control, and that includes how you enter a person's name or the author. And normally in library systems, you just put one author or one contributor. Under this system, we're asking you to actually put everyone in so that the people can find their ancestors or themselves within catalogues. It also includes when we're looking at ICIP, other things that might not be a standard library practice, like adding in Skin names is a very good example, or adding things like kings and queens names, which were quite common across Australia. Mm. And it sounds like it's so important to that part of connecting people with the collections, which I guess is what libraries are there for, so that the right people can access those information. Um, and yeah, a really important part of the guidelines. Um, some other interesting things that came up in terms of examples um, was I think one part of the guidelines was about um, language, culturally appropriate language, inclusive language, derogatory language. Um, and I think you said that um, something we see derogatory language often in the collections and it's important to keep that. Can you explain why? We don't want to erase our history. We need to understand the kind of place that we've come from and where we're going. And so we need to understand the particular terms. If you're looking at the racist history of Australia, you may actually want to go and search through the catalogues to find when those particular terms were in use. And it will also help you. So I know if I'm looking for a record from say, the 1920s, I can put in the word Aborigine and find something. I can also put in the word native for the 1800s. So those terms are actually useful for actually targeting specific areas. Mm. And uh, in terms of culturally inclusive language, is there now like a set um, set guidelines for which words people should use or will that depend on the different library and collection? It really does depend on your community. So some people don't like the word Aboriginal. They might use First Peoples or First Nations. Other groups are fine by it. So it really does depend on working with your community. Mm. Which seems like a common theme here <laughs> throughout. Um one of the um, examples, are there examples then that you could give us of um, perhaps libraries which are ahead of the curve on this and are already doing this really important work that we could look to? 
Uh, most of the state libraries are actually already on board. They already implement, <coughs> excuse me, the Auslan codes. Um, but they all still have work to do. Like IATS are, are quite far in front with their with their cataloging and metadata practices. But even they at the moment are still having a look at what needs to be done. Mm, okay. Uh, and what would you say are the challenges um, going forward? Um, are there issues in things like um, who's doing the labour, how um, we do collaborate with different communities? As you can imagine, most of the catalogers and metadata specialists are not Aboriginal. And so we're asking them to learn a whole new way of thinking about an item. And so we're asking them to think of it as an Indigenous person. And how would you be able to search for that item if you're Indigenous? And so that's what we're asking them to do. It's, it's, it's quite a big task when you think about it, asking them to understand a whole new knowledge system. Mm. Yeah, definitely. And is anything changing, do you think, in terms of um, who is working in these spaces? Um... Uh, absolutely. So I'm part of the Indigenous Archives Collective and there's a whole group of people within that from Australia and New Zealand. And so that's been the big change. Um, Dr Kirsten Thorpe is, is in that group. Um, very big change for the sector. Damien Webb as well is in that group. Um, and so there's been a real push in Indigenous librarianship, which has sort of changed the, the landscape of librarianship in general. Yeah, it's sounding um, amazing. And I guess it would also be potentially relevant to people outside the library system. For example, our listeners who might be in the glam sector more broadly in um, galleries or museums or um, people who are interested in teaching and universities. Do you think there's application of these guidelines elsewhere? There are applications, but there is a caveat. So library systems are outward-facing systems in that they use the Library of Congress subject headings and everything else to cross-reference across the world. Museum catalogues and galleries are closed circuits, so they don't outward-face. So while they can do this work, in order for libraries and galleries to get into the same space that libraries, sorry, galleries and museums to get into the same space as libraries, they would have to be outward-facing. It doesn't mean they can't do the work, but they have a very different system. Mm, yeah, that's fascinating. Um, so we're going to put a few different things in the show notes, um, but for listeners who might be interested in finding more out about these guidelines, um, where would you suggest they go or what resources might you direct them to? So there's a couple of things. You can go to the guidelines which are available on Trove or the National Library of Australia as an online resource. There is also the training resources through uh, Vimeo through Alia. And we also start, uh, set up a reparative description community of practice. And if you'd like to join, you can email education at alia.org.au and put in the subject heading First Nation Collection Description Community of Practice. Amazing. Is there anything else you'd like to tell our listeners to e about um, these guidelines? I think the biggest thing, and Damien and I both said it in the, in the launch, um, don't be afraid to fail. If you put in an item and it's wrong, someone will c come back and tell you that it's wrong and incorrect, so you know what to do the next time. Mm, that's really important to know. So do you feel like there's some hesitation to even approach First Nations collections or to even have that in their library? Yeah, I often say the guidelines are meant to stop catatonia. So basically it's to help people make that first step. Mm, yeah, that's amazing. So there's, I guess, just that fear of um, getting started and that maybe it's not that hard. They can do it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. 
Okay, thank you so much, um, Tui, for that amazing um, information. So um, we've been speaking with Tui Raven on the guidelines for First Nations collection description for Australian libraries. And as I said, if you're interested in learning more or joining the community of practice, we'll put um, resources and contacts in the show notes. So it's up to us, the people. We need a treaty in this country. We need the end to the war in this country. And the only way we can do that is through a peace treaty. Not the one you see in Victoria, not the one you see in Queensland, not the one you see in the Northern Territory, because they talk treaty and still lock our people up. They still kill our people. They still desecrate our land and our water. A treaty means peace. A treaty means equality. And a treaty means justice. Thank you. You're listening to Radical Radio on 3CR. 855 on your AM dial, 3CR digital and podcasting and streaming on 3cr.org.au. Tuesday Breakfast. We're going to play a track now by a Tuesday Breakfast favourite, Thelma Plum. This is uh, her most recent single and it is about um, the fact that we don't talk enough about family violence in Australia. I am driving Near the river in West End And I feel like A hug from an old friend I pull over I nearly crashed my car When I saw him With his arms around her I want you But I'm scared You won't think it's true if it happened to me, it'll happen to her It doesn't make it better that I went first We don't talk about it, we don't talk about it If it happened to me, it'll happen to her What the girls went through, yeah, they didn't deserve it We don't talk about it, we don't talk about it, no Take you to meet all of his friends or gaslight you. My jokes at your expense. Does he whimper and cry when you have sex? Then, right after, talk about his ex. I wanna warn you, but I'm scared. 
Was we don't talk about it by Thelma Plum. We are now joined by Caroline Kell, who is a proud Barbaram woman whose family hails from far north Queensland, but she was born and raised in Nam, Melbourne, on Rwandri lands. She is a warrior of Aboriginal resistance, community organiser, working with a coalition of community organisers. In her nine to five, um, Caroline work, leads work in anti-racism and also helps her community navigate harmful systems of oppression. Caroline joins us this morning to talk about Invasion Day 2024 as as well as the ongoing struggle for truth, treaty, truth and justice for First Nations people. Uh, welcome to 3CR, Caroline. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate it. No, we really appreciate having you on. Um, so to start off with, um, I wanted to ask you a question that um, the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance have been asking Aboriginal people and activists um, and have been publishing these um, really great videos online um, about what Invasion Day means to them. So can you start by sharing with our listeners what Invasion Day means to you? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, firstly, I'd say that, um, yeah, it means means many things. Um, For me personally, it marks a day that our world would really change forever, that the life of my people, my family would, yeah, change in unimaginable ways. And for me personally and for many of us, it is this really nationalistic annual reminder of these colonial myths that this country has told itself to legitimise the illegal occupation, the slaughtering of our people, the raping and enslavement of our women and children, um, the destruction of our land and water, which continues, uh, the mass removal and displacement of our people, the incarceration of our mob. You know, we have one of the smallest populations, but we have some of the highest rates of incarceration in the world. Um, And for me, this day sort of carries this burden of, of trauma that is affiliated with this day and that continues these kind of myths and inability to accept the truth or acknowledge the truth or to um, move through this pain and it really continues to perpetuate so much harm for us. So for me it's a it's a time that I, I reflect and I grieve and I mourn and I think of um yeah, I think of my people. I think of my mum and my aunties and uncles who were taken from their mums uh, and enslaved under the colony, reg- the colonial regime at 
eight years old, um, and I it's a time that I I sort of loudly and proudly take the streets to really call out these systems of harm and to abolish these systems of harm so they can no longer inflict this racial violence and pain. And it's also a time, you know, uh, that I am reminded of the strength and love of our people where we do get to come together and we do get to be black and we do get to stand together and remind the colony that our existence is the resistance. And so it is a source of strength as much as it is a source of pain. So, yeah, it means many things to me. Thank you so much for sharing all of that with us. Um, I think what you said just now about these myths and lies that have been perpetuated by the colony that continue to this very day in so many different forms is really important as a reminder for um, settlers um, in this country Mm. that, you know, for um, people who are not Aboriginal or Torres Strait Islander, that um, a lot of us do maybe do not see it directly but but they're there in in so many different ways and in a lot of the ways that you've you've just talked about um mm. i i did want to i guess bring up you know recent contexts and and highlight uh, i'll ask you about why you know there are still conversations about changing the date and why that there mm. is simply no date to to celebrate um in this colony especially i mean you've just talked about um since since colonization um every there have been so many different um uh harms uh, perpetuated by by the state but in recent context you know the referendum which exposed the aboriginal community to so much hate and violence on every single level um as well as recent things from you know santos winning um against uh the tiwi islander community to continue their their drilling so um yeah i was wondering if you could could talk about um why the you know the conversation shifting away from changing the date um to abolishing the date altogether Mm, yeah absolutely i mean i guess in its most simplest terms, is that, you know, when we say sorry, it means that we don't do it again. And in this country, it is very hard for us to um, to celebrate and to be proud and to share that sense of national identity that other so-called Australians or settlers or colonisers feel when there is still so much to be done and so much unfinished business in social justice, in, you know, restitution with, um, you know, without sort of this acknowledgement of Australia's true history, without a treaty, without proper self-determination, without reparations. It's very hard for us to sort of imagine an Australia that we can wholly celebrate. Um, And it's interesting because we're a country that, um, you know, celebrates and decorates war, um, but we are unable to name the, the thousands of people who we've lost in massacres during frontier wars. We're unable to turn to the history and the truth of this country and really um, acknowledge those ills. And we're unable to... to um, we're still without a treaty. We're one of the first... Uh, we're the only Commonwealth countries in the world that doesn't have that. 
And so we have a long way to go um, to be able to all stand together side by side and, and be proud of it. And so I think there is a big call for abolition of the date. We're calling for an abolition of the date because there's not much for us to really celebrate without significant changes across these numerous injustices. And I guess, you know, we, 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 we saw this very racist and very public campaign um, against black and brown bodies occurring last year with the referendum. And we were subjected to abhorrent racist tirades um, that were really unethical and really just morally unfair to put people who are so um, marginalised and oppressed in the colony through such hateful, um, yeah, hateful abuse. And so, you know, for me, it's a marker that we have even more work to go. And so, yeah, we, we, we need to see changes for us to all really, yeah. And I think we all need to be looking at what is it that we're celebrating here? What is it that we're, we're really all proud of? Um, and this, this date is this sort of annual reminder of the invasion and the occupation and the genocide. And for us, um, there's really nothing to celebrate. Um, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And I think you've raised a few really important things there. Firstly, wanted to go back to the hypocrisy, I guess, of of um, this country, like you said, celebrating war um, mm. and and always talking about wars that are happening in other countries and, like you said, not even shedding any light on, on the frontier wars um, here in so-called Australia. Um, it makes me think of, you know, what we were speaking to Dr Jessica Ganaway just now about the complete erasure of, mm. of um, histories um, here in so-called Australia and what that does, um, how that impacts not just um, the Aboriginal community but also the settlers as they, as they grow up, you know, going through schools without any of this history, um, what that does to people. Um, and I think you just have to look at, you know, the, the response um, to Woolworths cancelling their Australia Day line to know how much, uh, how much, I guess, your, the, you know, the, the existence of Aboriginal people is resistance, you know, like so much of this, um, so much of the spotlight is on, this um, celebration or, um, yeah, even like the um, commodifying of this this day to know that, well, there's something that really rubs Australian people the wrong way, um, which I guess just highlights how important this struggle is. Yeah, absolutely. And I'd like to think that uh, the Woolies saga was a, um, was a moral and ethical one, but I suspect that it's just because they weren't making any profits. <laughs> they weren't able to commodify it because, yeah, yeah it's not a... It, people are really looking inwards and looking at, you know, the, the history and doing their own work in the absence of governments being able to, to do that. So um, it's, it was a very interesting to sort of see such a fanfare and um, grandstanding of ideas around, yeah, what is pretty much just cheap landfill anyway. Yeah, <laughs> so, exactly. Yeah, it's very interesting. Mm. Just that sense of ownership and entitlement at times, I think, we're taking things away from people. And I think if anyone knows loss, it, it's certainly First Nations uh, and Indigenous communities globally. Yeah, mm. yeah, definitely. You mentioned before that, you know, there's still no treaty here. Um, and one of the, you know, it's where one of the 
few who don't. Um, so with that, could you talk more about this as well as the other key demands um, for this year's Invasion Day? Yeah, so we're asking that people come down and, and stand in solidarity with First Nations peoples and communities this Friday, the 26th of January, 2024. Um, we will be holding a dawn service, uh, which will be held at 5am at King's Domain on Wurundjeri land, which will be followed by an Invasion Day rally where we'll be meeting at 10am at the Victorian Parliament on Spring Street, and then we'll be marching down to Flinders Street together. Um, and, yeah, as the oldest culture in the world, it's really our right and responsibility as First Nations people to protect our country, culture and our people. And, you know, this is why we meet with this, this day with protest and mourning and coming together. Um, and we really invite and encourage everyone to take the time to come along to sit in the discomfort, to listen, to learn and to um, become informed about the, the ongoing horrors and the struggles of the settler colonialism that's, you know, being carried out. Um, in our, what we're sort of looking for and what we call for is treaty and treaties. You know, just in the, few, the last few days, the coalition has walked back their commitments in the bipartisan support of treaties and um, in, in Victoria, um, with many other states and jurisdictions across so-called Australia actually um, scrapping treaty conversations entirely. So um, it's becoming really, really important that everybody um, shows up for these movements that have been hard fought for generations from our old people and our elders. We're calling for land back and land rights to stop selling off land that was promised to us through the treaty process. You know, the long and the short of it is there's not a lot of Crown land, there's not much for us um, to even have or to use as keeping places for our communities. And um, we, need, we need language nests and places for us to come and to heal and to be. We're calling for the end of Aboriginal deaths in custody. You know, we've had 500, over 500 deaths um, in this country since 1991, 33 years ago, and we haven't had one single conviction and the, the grief and the loss that these families endure without answers, without closure, without justice or peace is, is just not acceptable. We're calling for First Nations justice that centres climate justice. You know, we are the oldest care, caretakers of this country. We have a huge body of Aboriginal knowledges and systems to protect and nurture and care for this place, our homelands. And we need to see, um, you know, the, the, an increase in climate justice um, with centering First Nations justice. We are calling for the end of theft of black children and the return of all black children to their families and kin. Um, you know, people have this understanding of the stolen generation that happened in the 60s, but we're having more kids removed and out of home care in, in 2023 and 2024 than ever before. Um, and we need our, our children with our families um, to, to grow up strong and healthy and happy and, and protected. We're calling for the abolition of police and prison systems. Um, these systems are based off racist imperial regimes that seek to just lock up our people. And um, we're also calling for reparations, restitution back to... And, of course, for the Australian government to stop arming Israel and bankrolling and, and um, supporting what's happening in Gaza right now. 
Um, so they're the things that we'll be calling for. They're the things that we'll be speaking on. Um, and we just encourage everyone to come down to stand in solidarity with you know, the oldest culture in the world um, to listen and to learn. Yeah, thank you so much for that. Um, and I think, again, I just wanted to highlight what you've just said now about um, so many of these fights that people are fighting for do not centre First Nations people and it is essential that, that co- these communities do so because, um, you know, what's been said before is, you know, we're not free unless all of us are free and um, for Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander communities that is not the case. Um, and one other thing that I, well, I, what I wanted to end on, Caroline, is um, you mentioned now uh, one of the demands is for Australia to stop arming Israel. And something that we've seen, you know, we've seen um, Professor um, Gary Foley speaking at many Palestine rallies now, Uncle Robbie Thorpe, Tarnine was there over the weekend in Nam. Um, what have you seen from your perspective about um, uh, colonised peoples coming together and joining the struggle together Um I know that there are, um, you know, the Palestinian community and uh, their supporters are, are rallying to come on Friday as well. So um, what does that mean for you to see these people come together? Well, I think it's important to note that um, prior to more recent times, um, Indigenous communities and particularly the Palestinian and Aboriginal community have been working together um, for many years, um, for many decades, and because we we know and feel and experience, um, yeah, what it like what it's like to have genocide, to be dehumanised, to be displaced, to lose our land and culture and identities, and so this has been, I guess, a long-standing you know solidarity, and it will continue to be. Um, yeah, I think it's um, it's heartening that we're we're kind of coming together. I think we're we're all pretty exhausted. <laughs> um, and but we need to hold the line, and these movements need endurance and um, collective efforts, and we'll continue to support each other because, yeah, from the river to the sea, we're not free until we're all free. And um, you know, for us, this always was and always will be Aboriginal land. But you know, we 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 stand in solidarity with with Palestinians with this indoctrination of the Zionism that's carrying out such regimes, and we will continue to. Um, until we need to, yeah. Yeah, definitely. And um, we can all see that, you know, um, that it's been so amazing to see so many staunch um, Aboriginal activists and and just people, members of the community um, being at so many of the the Free Palestine movements and uh, rallies. And like you said, this this isn't anything new. It's been happening for for decades. Um, Mm. And so, yeah, on that note, I really wanted to thank you, Caroline, for coming on the show um, and talking to us about about Invasion Day, what it means to you, what it means to um, the Aboriginal community and why this is not just... It's it's everyone's it, everyone has a role to play in this. So um, thank you again, and I really encourage everyone to get down to the rally, um, as well as listen to Three CR. There'll be a live broadcast from the rally this Friday. Um, thank you so much, Caroline. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. See you there. Bye. So that was um, Caroline Kell, a proud. 
Barbaran woman and community organiser with the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance. The Invasion Day rally will begin at 10am on Friday 26th of January outside Parliament House, Victoria in uh, Melbourne. There will also be a dawn service held before the rally at 5am at King's Domain Resting Place. Uh, you can follow Warriors of the Aboriginal Resistance on Instagram at war underscore collective Vic um, and really encourage listeners to um, read to read to First Nations people, listen to First Nations people um, in the lead up to Invasion Day, but also every day. Uh, we'll be back with our final interview right after this. We show up, take no more. Black at the heart, take no more. True in our love, take no more. Tune in from 8.30 to 4 o'clock on Friday the 26th of January for our annual Invasion Day broadcast. Between 10 and midday we'll be broadcasting live from the March in Melbourne and throughout the day 3CR's Blackfella broadcasters will be bringing you voices of the elders, truth-telling, critical yarns with grassroots activists, deadly black music and honouring warriors past and present in the struggle for sovereignty, land back an end to genocide and a treaty. So keep it tuned in to 3CR on Friday the 26th of January from 8.30 to 4 o'clock. You're on 3CR Tuesday Breakfast. For our final interview this morning, we have with us Sophie Jest, who is the lead singer and guitarist of Nam-based feminist punk band Rub. And she is joining us on the show this morning to tell us about a show her band is playing um, as a part of a bunch of other bands to raise funds for Olive Kids and Esims for Palestine. Welcome back to 3CR Breakfast, Sophie. Thank you for having me. It is so lovely to have you here. Um, would you like to do a more full introduction of yourself and tell listeners a bit more about Rub? Sure. Um, so Rub is, as kind of you said, a femme DIY punk band. We've been playing now for about 12 months, um, just around Nam. Um, we haven't made it interstate yet, but hopefully this year, this year we will. Um, and yeah, our sort of our whole vibe is making space for women, femme people, queer people who just don't usually have space in the hardcore punk scene. Um, we're very, very loud and proud about that. Absolutely. Um, having been to your shows, yeah. I can attest to this. Um, punk is, you know, one of my favourite genres and historically has been a very political genre that kind of defies the mainstream, um, rebels against fascism, uh, you know, so what has it been like being in a punk band and being in the scene uh, at this current moment in time? Are people speaking out about issues like Palestine and using their platforms? Yeah, it's, it's been really interesting the past 12 months to kind of get a bit of a gauge for the underground scene. Um, I definitely had not really understood exactly the politics of the punk scene before because I kind of, before actually playing in Rub, the music that I had it had been accessible to me was more kind of like non-political hardcore like kind of um like american hardcore kind of stuff um but being involved in punk in melbourne and also being very very loud about our politics we kind of then have found that the scene has 
almost been drawn to us and it's more that we I think are united by our politics and our like left-wing activism more even than any particular sound so so this um, upcoming show that we've got I would say that like more than any like similarities in genre we're united by our politics and that is always um, yeah queer rights um, feminism but intersectional feminism not white feminism very important and also um, things like justice for Palestine um, we're very very loud about that I think since there's, there's so many bands who've been doing the work um, prior to October 7 as we know it's been an ongoing um, bombardment of Gaza and and, and um, the whole yeah it, it's been something that we've been addressing for a really long time but in particular after October 7 when we saw um, the most recent horrors um, in Gaza we've been very very loud personally about it on stage posting about it and lots of other bands have been too um, it's been really really good to see that's really good to know um because I feel like in a lot of, you know, we've seen what's happened at the ABC, we've seen what's happening in so much other media, so many workplaces, people are being gagged from speaking, um, you know, internal uh, politics, and, mm. you know, people are getting kind of on the down low emails about not saying certain things. So it's nice to know that, you know, there is a bit of freedom in the punk hardcore scene to, to actually speak up and use your platform. Exactly. And I think it's something that isn't, it's amazing for it to have um, that freedom. And I think that it's, yeah, in other aspects of my life, I think necessarily like that, that ability to stand up and speak for what we believe is not there. Um, But yeah, this platform is something that we really want to use in the words of Cormac from Geld. Um, who is also a huge um, pro-Palestine activist. He speaks about the fact that if you have a platform, any platform, it's your responsibility to use it, particularly what, with what we're seeing now, which is the genocide. Absolutely. Is this um, a similar vibe to other countries? Unfortunately not, um, which I think is really alarming and I think it maybe echoes what we're seeing in general with politics, but um, it sort of filters down into the DIY punk scene. I have a few friends who've played in underground punk scenes all around the world. They've had bands that tour there connected. And um, a few friends of mine have said that the scenes in America and also in Germany um, are really, really riddled with Zionist sentiment, Mm -hmm. um, which is really alarming. And there is this... um, real concern in Melbourne that it doesn't infect the scene here. Yeah, I'm, I'm glad that Melbourne is aware of it and making sure that that's not happening here. Um, tell us about the event coming up. It's a benefit show for Olive Kids and Isms for Gaza. Um, can you tell us a bit about the organisations as well as the event? Yes, absolutely. So we're so excited for this. And this is something that we want to just be really like loud about and very staunch in our um, activism as part of what we're doing in the punk scene. So we have been um, wanting to organise a show for a little while. Rob actually played a, um, a Palestine benefit show last year and it was amazing. And we're wanting to do something bigger. Um, so this is something where we're wanting to kind of split our funds and give them to a wide range of people. So all of kids is a Palestinian um, group that gives money to children. And then we've also got eSIMS for Gaza, which is um, delivering communications for people on the ground in Gaza. As we know, we can't really... Um, yeah, it's, it's so important to have comms in Gaza for us to be able to see 
the horrors of what is happening to try and um, yeah just have that be reported on so we're really excited to give money to those two um, groups and then the bands that we have playing are outright incredible activist punk band they've been doing it for I think maybe like 15 years um, femme fronted incredible diploid um, diploid are a band fronted by a first nations person scarlet um, they are incredible as well um, just yeah the most incredible I'm using incredible a lot but it's just yeah I can't <laughs> think it, they're just so good everybody on this lineup are amazing cherish um, a trans band from Gadigal country they are um, all so staunch yeah so incredible Again, um, Stabitha <laughs> and the Knifey Wifeys from Adelaide. That's a great name. Stab- oh, I so the <laughs> amount of Stabitha merch that I have, there we played with them before. Um, they're so good. Um, and Sierra, they're a band that I'm really excited to see. I haven't caught them before. They're a band that's from Nam. And then Proboscis. Proboscis are a little um, baby band from Nam that have just started playing last year. I was there for their first show. Um, they're a trans band as well. Um, they sing about incredible, um, yeah, just powerful issues. There's um, Misha's a, um, yeah, the, the front people in those two, in those, all those bands are amazing. This sounds so great. Uh, <laughs> the show is coming up on Sunday, the 11th of February at Fairfield Bowls Club. Um, it's all ages, which is great. I'll be there with my 11-month-old <gasps> child. Um, and tickets are 20 bucks. Where can people get tickets? So people can get tickets um, online. There's links in, in the Instagrams of all of our bands. So our link is rub.punk. Or you can also go through um, the record company Life Lair Regret Records, LLR. If you Google any of those keywords, you'll find them in the link. And we'll link to all of that in our show notes as well as our socials. Sophie, we've run out of time, but thank you so much for joining us this morning. Thank you for having me. And I'll promise I'll find some more adjectives other than incredible next time. (laughs) Incredible. Uh, So that was Sophie Jest from a feminist punk band, Rob, talking to us about a benefit concert coming up on the 11th of Feb. That brings us to the end of our show this morning. Uh, We don't have time for a rundown today, but we do have time for a rundown today. All right. We started off speaking with uh, Renee from Students for Palestine uh, just about their action happening at 4 p.m. today at Burke Street Mall. And then we spoke with uh, Dr. Jessica Ganaway about First Nations knowledge systems, the importance of truth-telling in our schools. At 7.45, we spoke with Tui Ravan, a Yamaji Nyunga person, who spoke to us about the guidelines for First Nations collection description for Australian libraries. At eight o'clock, we were joined by Caroline Kell from the Warriors of Aboriginal Resistance, speaking to us about Invasion Day 2024 um, and the ongoing struggle for treaty, truth and justice for First Nations people. And we just ended the show there with a conversation with Sophie about the upcoming uh, fundraising gig for Palestine. So thank you so much for joining us on Tuesday Breakfast today. Make sure you uh, stay tuned because Accent of Women is coming right up. 3CR Breakfast would like to thank the New International Bookshop, Melbourne's independent radical bookstore and venue, for their financial support of this program. You can find Nibs in the basement of Trades Hall in Victoria Street, Carlton. Keep up to date with upcoming events at nibs.org.au.
You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.